Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Today, as we continue to talk about margins, we're going to be talking about a story in the Old Testament, a guy named Nehemiah. Um, many of you are probably familiar with Nehemiah. Um, it, Nehemiah is just a great story about God and God's faithfulness and what happens when we choose to live by God's agenda. And when we commit ourselves to God's agenda, then it's amazing what we can achieve. Um, we actually are achieving things that can last for eternity. Because anything that has anything to do with God, and we're a part of that, his kingdom work is for eternity. So I'm gonna pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter six, but a little preview of that. Nehemiah six begins where the wall's already been finished, and, um, and, it, and they're getting ready to hang the gates on the, on the on their post at the, throughout the wall. Nehemiah, he, he lived in a foreign land. He had been taken into, in fact, we, we don't know if he even ever lived in uh, Judea or whether he ever lived in Jerusalem. He may not have been. He may have been born in captivity. Um, and, you know, Israel had been conquered. The people were taken away. And, uh, and Nehemiah... Apparently, it was just he was groomed for a very specific job, and that was to be the cupbearer of the king. Now, that sounds like an insignificant job to run around with a cup, but actually, that stands for a very important job, a crucial job. Um, I mean, he was with the king most of the time, and and uh, he may have had opportunity to inf- influence uh, faults and in, and decisions. Um, one of his responsibilities was to protect the life of a king because one of the ways to get rid of somebody if you wanted to knock them off would be to poison their wine. And uh, so his job was really, you know, he was protecting the king. And one of the rules that they had in that guy's kingdom, you know, this, this king, we're, we're going to see how God did an amazing thing through this pagan king. Um, this guy did not allow anybody to be in his presence that was depressed or upset. I mean, he had a lot of pressure on him as being a king of a massive kingdom, and he didn't need people around him uh, just being depressed and all this. In fact, he was known to have a reputation that if you came into his presence with sadness on your face, you might get executed over that. So he's he was not a guy to mess with. Well, Nehemiah had a brother who had been to Jerusalem and he came and he saw Nehemiah. Nehemiah asked him about Jerusalem and he got a horrible report. He said, no, things are bad. People are discouraged. The walls have been torn down. The gates have been burned. And that threw Nehemiah into depression. I mean, he was grieving. He was, he fasted and he prayed for days and well, put it this way. 
I, I begin to see the character of the man in just his prayer back in Nehemiah chapter one. When he said to holy God, he said, we have sinned against you. Now, that tells me something. He, he made himself a part of the, of the family that he was in, even though he personally had nothing to do with that. Well, that kind of tells me something about how to pray for my country, that when I talk to God and say, God, you need to get rid of that group, you need to get rid of that group, you need to go do something about that group. No, the way I pray is, Lord, we have sinned against you by the decisions that we have made in our nation. And some of the things that have occurred and have happened, we have sinned against you. You identify with the humanity, with the family that you're a part of, and we're part of a nation. And Nehemiah did that. He, he said, we Jews, we have sinned against you, and that's why we're in this predicament. Now, he had a real problem. He still had his job to do. And he didn't know how he was going to fake it. And, and he just didn't. He was in the presence of the king. And the king immediately noticed. He said, he said dude, what's wrong? I don't think they used the word dude back then. But um, is that a Hebrew word? It might be. I don't know. Dude, dudette. I, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, they said to him, the king said to him, What's up, Nehemiah? Why, why are you looking the way you're looking? I mean, you know, in, in that moment, the king could have said, I got a guy I want you to follow outside with him, and he's going to fix your problem. But no, he, Nehemiah, because he had prayed, he had the courage of God within him. And he said, how can I be happy how can I have joy in my life when my homeland is in desperate disrepair? I mean, the walls have been torn down. The gates have been burned. My people are discouraged. Now, I'm convinced as a direct result of his prayers that the king said, well, what do you want me to do? How can I help you? <laughs> That's, I want to tell you, that was far out of the norm for this king. And, and Nehemiah was prepared for that. I mean, he had made a list. Well, I'm going to need this much. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this. I mean, he, he had his grocery list out. He was prepared. And uh, the king says, yeah, you can have all of that. And I'm going to give you more than that. In fact, I'm going to send part of my army with you to get you there safely because nobody will dare touch you if my if my army is with you. And, and so, I mean, the king just went way beyond Nehemiah's prayers. And that's what God tends to do for us. When we pray, he tends to go beyond our prayers. Now, here's what I want you to see. God's will is going to be done. And he will even use non-believers to do his will. We see that in the case with Nehemiah and the king. You know, October the 31st, we had a great day with Clayton King and, and um, a lot of decisions that were made. 
And I am serious. If you haven't talked to anybody yet about a decision you make, please call me and let, let me get have the opportunity to talk with you. But there's one story that came out from that day that I didn't know about until like a week later. Um, there was a, an individual who was attending one of our Bible studies. And that individual is not a believer. But they wanted to come to the Bible study because they wanted to learn. And they invited another non-believer to come with them to church. Well, the one who did the inviting didn't show up. But in that service, that other non-believer and their entire family pray to receive Jesus. Wow. God used a non-believer to bring an entire family to him. God's will is going to be done. You have the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of it, to be a part of God's kingdom work. So, Nehemiah 6.15. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. Oh my goodness. Everybody was told it couldn't happen. It would never happen. This is the way it is. And in less than two months, God did the impossible. So here's the key. If you want to sum up today's message, this is it. Don't quit, but make sure you're not quitting about the right thing. There's some things you do need to quit, but when it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to doing things for his kingdom, you just don't quit. So there had been this major opposition to the rebuilding of the wall, and it came from among some Jewish guys. And the reason that happened was because there's always those individuals who take advantage of the situation. And so sure enough, when everything was in disarray in Jerusalem, there were these guys that took advantage of the situation and they were getting wealthy off of it. And they liked the control, they liked the money. So to come and fix the wall was going to mess up their enterprise. And so naturally they were against Nehemiah. And they used everything they had in their arsenal against him. They used division. They tried to cause discouragement. They tried to call, cause discord. They tried to put fear into him. And they were getting desperate now because when we get to Nehemiah 6, the wall's done. And the only thing left to do is to hang the doors. Now, when you hang the doors, that completes it. You see, a wall is great, but if there are no doors, the wall is useless because you just go around the wall. Some of you have been really good at building walls in your life that you should build to protect your life and your family from things that would seek to destroy your life and your family. But if you, want, if you don't have the doors in place, you're just a setup. You need to have those doors in place and you need to have discernment when to open the doors to let things in and when to shut the doors to keep things out. And here's what, here's a biblical truth. Satan is always ready when you leave a crack in the door, when you leave the door ajar, he is always ready to slip right in. And he's good at it. 
he's been doing it, been doing it for a couple of millennium. He knows what he's doing, and he knows exactly where to go. So we need to not only have our walls in place to protect our family, we need to have the doors in place and know when to shut them and when to open them. So here's a couple of truths out of Nehemiah's life. <clears throat> if you want to achieve God's agenda, if you want to do, if you want to be a super achiever for God, <clears throat> number one, keep moving in spite of distractions. You're going to have them, but keep moving. Verse one, Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Samballot and Geshem uh, sent a message asking me to meet them in one of the villages on the plain of Ono, um, who later became a, married to John. And um, only 10% of you even got that. What is but I realized they were plotting to harm me. So he had discernment. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Basically saying, who are you? You're not that important. I'm doing God's work, therefore you don't measure up. And he said four times they sent the same message and each time I gave them the same reply. <clears throat> I don't have time for you. Let me tell you something. Anybody that keeps you from God's agenda in your life, you don't have time for them. You don't need to make time for them. Even if they're good friends, if they're distracting you, you've got to say yes to God and no to the friend if you want your life to matter. So what was Nehemiah's response? Well, it was simple. He kept on working. He kept on working. Then the second thing, he kept moving in spite of the slander and the gossip. Verse 5, the fifth time, Sambalat's servants came <coughs> with an open letter. Now, that's huge to say an open letter because that meant anybody could read it. So as they were making their way through all the villages and the nearby areas, they were letting people read this letter. It's kind of like a rumor mill. You know, today you can send out a tweet, do it on social media. Today, back then, they would send an open letter and they would let everybody read it to get the rumor going. And here's what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true. Uh, you know, I love those kind of friends. When you have a friend that comes to you and say, hey, everybody's been telling me, usually that means I've been telling myself. Uh, there's some people talking, you know, it usually means, no, you're the one that's doing the talking. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, <coughs> that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that, that is why you're building the wall. You're going to go against the king. And according to his reports, you plan to be the king. Uh, you, the reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim, proclaim about you. Look, here's the king of Judah. You can be very sure that this report's going to get back to the real king. And, and so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. That's kind of like, I'm so important. You need to come talk to me. I can make it all go away. 
You, um, <clears throat> this is, they're getting desperate. So now they're doing slander and they're doing gossip. <clears throat> In verse 8, Nehemiah replied, There's no truth to any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, Nehemiah was saying, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued to work even with, with even greater determination. So here's a fact. You, you can put this one down. Anyone who sets big goals will be criticized by people who set no goals. You see, if that person had goals in their life, they would be too busy about those goals to have time to worry about you. So anyone who sets big goals, you are going to be criticized by those who've never set a goal in their life. <clears throat> you know, see, every, every once in a while, this doesn't happen too often, but it did initially when I first came to Gateway. Someone would come, they'd be new, they hadn't joined yet, but they'd spend, you know, be coming a couple of weeks and then they would want to meet with me. And basically they would sit down and they say, hey, we've been praying and um, we believe God's leading us to this church and here are the changes he wants us to bring with us. And you know what? I look at him and I say, you know what? I just talked to God this morning. He didn't tell me a word about it. Why do you think he didn't come to me? And he brought in an outsider. Our deacons, God hadn't said anything to our deacons. Now, if the deacons came to me and said, hey, we've been praying about this. And, you know, I'm going to listen to that because they're appointed leaders. And, and, uh, but <clears throat> sometimes, here's what happens. People get mad at their old church. And, and they, they leave and I understand that we always try to help them to make sure they, they've settled any issue that needs to be settled, which they should. Uh, but sometimes they, they remember the good things that they had about that church and they try to change the current church that they're going to, to be that, but that's not how it works. Uh, be very leery of somebody who comes to you and says, God told me to tell you. And you just look at him and say, you know, I got a direct line with God. His name is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit lives in me. I got a feeling he's capable of getting my attention if he wants to talk to me. Verse 11. Oh, this is Jesus talking. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. This is what Jesus has to say about it. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So Jesus is saying, when you are living for the kingdom of God, then people are going to mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say evil things about you, but you're being blessed when that happens. He says, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. 
And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So Jesus said, look, when you are living for my agenda, when you are about being an achiever for the kingdom of God, you're going to get criticized. So be happy about it because it's an indicator you're on track. You're doing what you, be, you should be doing. I want to tell you, if Satan's not giving you a hard time, there's a reason. You're doing nothing to get his attention. But when you're doing things that impact the kingdom of God, you're going to get his attention. I mean, when we were getting ready for October 31st, I told you all the stuff that started going wrong. You know, Clayton getting very sick and nearly died in the hospital, you know, before he was coming to speak. And, and I lost my voice for a couple of weeks and Mac was throwing up in between the services because he came down with the virus that morning. I mean, it's just one thing after the next. And God says, you're going to be persecuted. You're going you're gonna to have some tough times when you're doing the things my father has told you to do. So be happy about it. And so what was Nehemiah's response? He kept on working. Number three, keep moving in spite of the danger. Nehemiah 6 verse 11, he said, I replied, but someone in my position, should someone in my position run from danger? You see what happened? They basically paid a prophet. That's pretty sad. A prophet of God, they he could be bought and they paid this prophet to go and prophesy to Nehemiah and tell him to run and hide in the temple and which would have been against God's law. And, and he said, they're going to come kill you. You need to run and hide. And, and so here he, here's his response. Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God has not, had not spoken to him, that prophet, and that he had uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. It's amazing what people will do for money. Now, I'm going to tell you a story I've never told you before. It's something that happened when I was a freshman in college, and, and it was embarrassing. We, uh, I was a part of a, they, you know, when you were in college and you don't have any money, you'd kind of like find ways you can make money. And so uh, I saw on the bulletin board in one of the, in some of the buildings, be a part of a psych, psychology experiment. It was some grad students who were doing this experiment and they would pay you to do the experiment. I said, as long as it doesn't involve electricity, I'm up for it. And, uh, cause I've seen movies. And, uh, so I, I went in there and they said, yeah, here's what you got to do. We're going to pay you $10. And then you write and see, I was at NC state. And at that time, parking was horrible for students. And so there was a thing that they were going to build this parking garage and all the students were excited about it. I mean, everybody was excited about it. It's going to be great because there's no parking. And, and so they said, we're going to pay you $10, which was a lot of money because the minimum wage back then was what, $1.65 an hour. And uh, so that was like 10 hours or eight hours of work. And uh, so they said, you got to write a paper, write a, an article about why we should not build that garage. And I sat there for a minute. I said, I can do that. For 10 bucks, I'll do that. 
So I wrote a paper and sat there and wrote it out and said, yeah, this is why we don't need that parking garage. And uh, I can't remember what I said, but I just said whatever, because I was thinking about that $10. And then um, the guy said, okay, into the, so here's the end result. First of all, we, you don't get the $10. He took the $10 back. Oh my goodness. And he told me, he said, we were just seeing how many students we could buy off to say something that they knew that they wanted and needed. Man, I was embarrassed. And I thought to myself, I am never, ever going to do that again. It's got to at least be $100. (laughs) I mean, I was humiliated. I'm sitting there going, I got, this is, this is sad. This is a sad thing about me that I could say something that I didn't believe for money. And here it is in Nehemiah. This prophet of God said something that he didn't believe because he got some money. And he tried to get the man of God to sin by running into the temple and being a coward and by going into the temple where he shouldn't have gone, that would have been a sin. And and what would have said to the people? Oh, he runs and hides to protect himself. He'd have lost all of his leadership credibility. Hmm. And Nehemiah's response was, he kept on working. And because he refused to quit, the wall was built in less than two months. You know, archaeologists have actually unearthed part of Nehemiah's wall. I've seen it. It's crazy. I mean, it's 10 feet across and 12 feet deep. And to sit there and say, Nehemiah built this thing. Now, let me just give you some characteristics of God's purpose for your life. And this is for everybody. Some of the characteristics, this is how you can know that maybe what you're hearing is from God. First of all, God's purpose is always compelling. I mean, it's compelling. Nehemiah 6.3, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Basically, he's saying my work is compelling. It's a God-given task. I want to tell you, listen, the most compelling purpose in your life, the greatest cause you could ever be about is the kingdom of God. It does not get bigger or better than that. There's nothing more compelling. Anything else that you think is compelling other than the kingdom of God is short-lived. You can have a great, successful life, but how long are the results going to survive? Maybe 20 years? Maybe 100 years? I mean, I think about a lot of books that I studied in college and crammed for exams and how many of them are so obsolete now that they don't teach from them anymore. God invites you to be a part of something that lasts for eternity. Eternity. 
His kingdom work is an eternal work. And I challenge you that with whatever time you have left with your life, that for the rest of your life, you will invest in the kingdom of God. I challenge you. Another characteristic about God's purpose for your life, it's, it's clear. God's purpose is clear. Uh, Nehemiah had incredible discernment. He, he had this spiritual radar. He knew every trap when it came its way. He knew every accusation, every lie. He spotted it. He discerned people's motives. And um, he, he realized what was going on. So he, this, this guy had incredible wisdom. Now, if you're going to be a, a person that is about God's kingdom, you're going to need wisdom. And I will tell you, wisdom is very difficult to get. It's very hard. The Bible tells us in James 1, 5, how to get wisdom. This is, so, this, is, this is very difficult. I don't know if you can do this or not. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. A what? That's pretty easy. Is it really that simple? I mean, I don't have to take a course in wisdom finding. It just says, all I got to do is ask. Yeah. I take God at his word. I take the scripture at his word. He said, if you need wisdom, and everybody in here needs wisdom, we all need it. He said, just ask God. It's really that simple. And our generous God will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. He will not say that was a dumb, wasted prayer. He will actually, you know, whenever the Bible says pray this way and you do, it really pleases God. You're praying the way God wants you to pray. So, of course, he's going to answer it. He's saying, I want you to ask for wisdom because I want to give it to you. So if you ask for it, you're going to get it. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Is it that simple? There's no footnote. There's no plan B. It's that simple. So when you spend time in God's word and you begin to take on the mind of Christ and you want to become a person whose life makes a difference, and you don't fall for everything that comes along, you're going to need wisdom. You know, the thing that clouds our perception is the thing called fear. Nehemiah basically said, no matter what happens, I'm going to keep going. Even if it costs me my life, I'm going to keep going. And, and here's a good definition of fear, an acronym. False evidence appearing real. That's fear. False evidence appearing real. A third characteristic. God's purpose requires continual prayer. Well, should, it should. I mean, if it's something worthy of holy God, 
And if it's something of eternal value, yeah, it's going to involve prayer. In Luke 18, 1, listen to what Jesus said. One day Jesus told his disciples a story of what uh, uh, to show that they should always pray and never give up. So Jesus taught this to his disciples, which means he teaches it to us. You should always pray and never give up. Nehemiah understood that before Jesus ever said that. The last, the last characteristic. God's purpose requires courage and persistence. Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, that blessing may happen in this life or it may happen when you get to heaven. We don't know. But he says, don't get tired of doing what you know you should do. Don't get tired of being a part of God's kingdom work. Because there's a time coming, you'll see the reward, and the benefits are going to be amazing, which usually means lives are changed. That's the greatest reward I have in doing God's will, is seeing lives changed. That's kingdom work. So as you think about your life, what are you living for? Or who are you living for? Do you have an achiever mentality, a biblical achiever, achiever mentality about God's kingdom? Let's pray.